Good morning, I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. And today we have psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod, and we were just talking about all the topics we could cover that are kind of quarantine and COVID related, and we could knock this out in several days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just knock this out. Okay, uh, let's start with being at home and how our lives have changed and how that's affecting our mental health. You know, it varies according to the person. So there are some actual introverts who are enjoying being home alone, reading books, watching TV, perhaps talking to somebody by phone or via some kind of social media, but they actually don't mind so much being uh, quiet and Mm -hmm. away from people. On the other hand, um, there are an awful lot of people who want direct contact. Mm -hmm. If they don't have direct contact, it's almost like someone cut off their breathing. I mean, they're alive and completing all functions and they might look fine except a little drained Mm -hmm. but they don't feel right they just don't feel right if they can't be with people and being with people now has become a source of fear because am I going to be exposed to something am I going to have it and don't even know I have it and expose other people so there there are conflicts don't get too close to me back back up a little bit a lot of people are really struggling with fear. So we have fear and we're coping with it in different ways. Uh, I don't know if the eating is part of how we're dealing with the fear, but there's fear and anxiety and depression, all of these issues that are coming into play with people who are being at home and sometimes feeling isolated and feeling very, very alone. Or even in my case, I'm quarantined with someone, mm-hmm. but I've become food obsessed. It's like, well, we you go to the store and you see the shelves are empty. So when you find it, you buy it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like I have a buffet at the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that's part of it. And part of it is going to the grocery store has become a source of entertainment for some people because it's the only place you can go. I mean, that's not quite true now, yeah. but for yeah. a long time. Uh, that's pretty much the only place you could go. And mm-hmm. so literally people were going to the grocery store so that they would have something to do and so that they would see other people. It's uh, okay. The world is still there. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been left uh, by aliens or something. Yeah. Um, and then you have a lot of food and you don't have much else to do. So normally you would be distracted by going out or by going to work or by almost anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to run shopping for for 30 minutes, but you can't run shopping for 30 minutes now because you have to get prepared. Is the store open and how many people can get in and do I have my mask and do I have my gloves and am I, you know, I'm not going. Right. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Right. You don't have to run the kids around. You don't have to run errands. You don't have to drop off the dry cleaning. You don't right. have to stop and do laundry because you've only worn that one outfit all week long. There is that. Uh-huh. Day pajamas, night pajamas. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, so there isn't a lot to do, and some people are eating from anxiety mm-hmm. and fear, and some people are frankly eating from boredom. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't made a cake for a while. Let me let me make. I've got all this time to do those things that I was thinking about doing. I can make bread from scratch. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of it, and part of it is we don't recognize how much more sedentary we are by staying home and not going out to work and not going shopping and not running around to the variety of things that we don't even notice. And so we're not as active. Yeah. I mean, the gym's not open. Um, Right. Might be now, but hasn't been for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
I noticed that I have a Fitbit and it just thinks I died. <laughs> yeah, really? <clears throat> you used to move. What happened to yes, you? Yes, I, I would get in 10,000 steps in a day and it was just because I was running around. I was working. I was going to this event and then coming right. home and then going to that event and then coming right. to the station and then everything got canceled. And so everything got canceled. Right. I, you're right. I'm not getting the exercise just on a daily basis. And you without could, even trying. Right. And you could tell yourself, well, I'm going to run up and down the stairs a couple of times and you kind of do that. And then it, it, it's just not as entertaining as actually going to that event where you walk around and talk to people. Right. Right. So what do we do to kind of get back on track where <laughs> things are starting to open up now? Well, things are starting to open up, but some people are not going to want to go back out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very important that we be aware of the individuals either who feel immunocompromised or who just feel careful and are still staying home and I would advise them to be intentionally moving. So don't collect together the things that you need to take upstairs, take them up one at a time because you really then will have to take several trips and it's kind of a bit more like you used to when you went out somewhere and you got out of the car and you walked in and you did your things and then you came back. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I think it's helpful to intentionally move around and don't allow ourselves to get too comfortable sitting in front of social media mm-hmm. or a TV or whatever it is that has attracted your attention. You know, I love that you pointed that out. Don't take everything at once because that's part become part of our culture is to be very efficient is right. to, to save every, like, carry the groceries in in one trip. If it makes your arms fall off, carry the groceries <laughs> right. in in one trip. Right. So we should be like, I'm going to take the eggs upstairs and I'm going to come back and get the milk. And then I'm going <laughs> to, so it, we really yeah. need to be intentionally moving. Intentionally moving. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that brings me to an efficiency issue. We, we are trained to be efficient. Yeah. And one of the complaints I've gotten from so many people is that they don't feel efficient. I have all this time. All these projects I was going to tackle, have yeah. I done it? None of them. I, 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 I'm bored, but I'm not doing anything. Yes. This is a very serious problem, and it's when all of your resources, I mean, not all of your resources, but many of your resources have been taken away, um, and we become inefficient when we have too much time. I can do it this afternoon. Well, I didn't get to it this afternoon. I'll do it tomorrow morning. I, I've got all the time in the world. I, I just don't feel like getting up right now. But if you're going to work and you're visiting with people and you have a limited amount of time, okay, this afternoon between two and four is the time that I've got to do that project. So I'm going to do it then or I'm not going to get to do it. Yeah. And we become more efficient when we actually have more things to do. And when we have some sort of a, a strict deadline, an external deadline of some sorts, it seems. Well, either an external d- deadline that would keep us going so that we can impose an internal deadline because we don't meet our own internal deadline. The external deadlines will use up all our time, and we know that and we won't get to do anything we want to do. Oh. So we then fit in what we want to do into our schedules because we have to. Mm-hmm. But now we don't exactly have a schedule so we can do it any time. And that leads to frustration. That leads to beating ourselves up, yeah. which leads to less efficiency. <clears throat> so it's going to be important for people to realize that we have been less efficient. Many of us have been less efficient during this time and not to beat ourselves up for it, but just to realize this kind of peculiar situation leads to less efficiency for most people. So don't be swayed by 
the ones you see on social media or TV who have gone and collected all this money and these things and they're running around the neighborhood and they're running around the world and they're changing lives and you're like, mm-hmm. they're doing everything and I'm not doing anything. Be aware. They are few in number. They're admirable. They're wonderful. Don't beat yourself up for not being them. Yes, I, I was going to learn a language and learn to bake bread and get my closets organized and none of that. Yeah. None of that. And so we feel disappointed in ourselves. Right. And we don't want to do that. I think it's really important to understand the pressures of this kind of shutdown actually lead, for most people, to inefficiency. We don't quite know what to do with ourselves. I'm glad that you said that because I think there are a lot of people who are feeling pressure to accomplish something, like to, to, quote, come out of this with, abs (laughs) you had all this time show me what you did with it yes accomplish something yes i didn't really accomplish very much so Uh, what should we focus on give us a smaller goal (laughs) just just getting through it honestly the the first thing is getting through it this is what we humans have had to do all through the eons is there were wars or there were famines or there were illnesses typhoid malaria, whatever, people have had to deal with problems, either from the elements or from other people. And sometimes you just hunker down and survive Mm -hmm. and congratulate yourself for doing that. And I realize the people who can do better than that, who can accomplish something during this time, they get awards. That's wonderful. Give it to them. It's just that we don't really want to beat ourselves up for not being spectacular when we have, in fact, survived, and that's something. I, yeah. un- I understand that. If you're just joining us, first of all, we're talking with psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod. And now that things are starting to open up, I'm finding that I have anxiety about going out into crowds and restaurants. I'm still the one of the not yet, not yet, not yet people. Absolutely. And I hear this from my clients. Yes, we've been doing the telehealth. And um, yes, I guess I could come see you now, but I don't want to. I, I want to keep doing the telehealth. I'm afraid to leave my house. I haven't left my house in two months. I don't know how to do it anymore. So basically, we were told, not directly, but almost, if you walk outside your house and you come in contact with anyone else, you will get COVID and you and they will both die. That was mm-hmm. the message. And the the reality was you could come into contact with someone else and you could get COVID and you could die. And you could. It was a valid fear. It was a valid fear. And one of the things that people kept forgetting was that even people 70 or 80 and older, most of them who got COVID survived. Mm -hmm. We we forget that. It's like if you're 80 and you get COVID, you die. Not even true. Yeah. The vast majority, like 80% of the older people, at least the last numbers I heard, mm-hmm. who got it, survived. There was a person in Oregon, an 104-year-old man, mm-hmm. or Washington, one of those states up there, who survived. And similar, there were people over 100 in Spain and Iran mm-hmm. who survived it. So I guess my job, from my perspective, is to remind people that, yes, people, some people have died, and some people will continue to die of automobile accidents or COVID or heart attacks or whatever it is that takes people away. But the majority of people keep going. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that we don't lose the focus that we are an incredibly resilient species. And 
we need to remember our resilience so that we can use it more effectively. I think when we forget that we're resilient, we become more frightened and we almost lose our ability to use the skills that we have. Oh, I can't go out. Oh, something terrible happened. Oh, I don't know. And in reality, I think that, yes, something terrible could happen. I am not pretending that terrible things can't and don't, in fact, absolutely happen. And yet, because we are a resilient species, most of us are going to survive. Most of us are going to continue to function. And I'm not encouraging people to go out before they're ready. Mm-hmm. I am encouraging people to pay attention to themselves, honor themselves, respect themselves, and realize that what works for you doesn't work for me. I need to do what works for me. And if I'm not ready to go out, I'm not going out. If I am ready to go out, then I can allow myself to go out and take my chances. I like that you said the the resiliency, if we recognize our resiliency, we can more effectively use it. And, And what came to mind for me when you said that was kind of like a... If we don't know that we can get up if we fall down, we're afraid to fall down, so we don't even try to walk and move forward. Absolutely. But we know that if we fall, we can get back up. And generally so we, true. Yes. So we, yes, generally true. So we risk moving to go forward. Right. And I want people to pay attention to probabilities, not absolutes. Oh, the right. probability is that when we get out, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. That's the probability. Right. If you count on absolutes, I can't go out until I'm sure that I'm safe. Well, then find a closet and lock yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Because as long as you're on this earth, you won't be safe from from fire or accident or health or whatever, other people. Yes. So the probability is you're going to be okay. The absolute is not there. And sometimes we scare ourselves because we focus on the absolute. Yes. And that's never where... We're going to function well. Absolutely safe. Absolutely. You know, however, if I survive COVID and I walk out and get hit by a bus, I will be pissed. (laughs) That's completely fair. That is fair. And yet, let me assure you, somebody will do that. (laughs) I did not mean to laugh at that. But well, but 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 it's like there is an irony and there is life. And 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 part of my message is that you cannot keep yourself completely safe. Yes. So you lock yourself in that closet at home where you're going to be completely safe. And for whatever reason, a meteor falls out of the sky and hits your house. Oh, darn. I I think it's so important for us to realize that we don't have the capability of making ourselves absolutely safe. Yeah. That doesn't exist. But so just don't let it become crippling. Don't let that fear become where it just immobilizes you. Right. I I think it's helpful to focus on the probability that we're going to be okay. Do the best we can do rather than establishing the outcome of making ourselves safe or making our family safe. We do the best we can. Mm -hmm. That we can do. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking off mic before the interview about telemedicine, telehealth, the Zoom meetings and the social media meetings and things like that. Has that changed health as far as mental health and mental health treatments? What are you finding with your patients? Well, what I find when I do telehealth with with clients is that we feel a bit more distant from each other. They, They can't see me. They can't feel me. They can't. There's something about being physically in a room with someone that you can almost feel their energy without, mm. even six feet apart. Yes. You can sort of tell they're there. 
<clears throat> and when they make a movement or shift in the position, you notice that. We pay attention to yes. those things. Yes. But when we're only looking at a screen and we can just see someone's face, uh, we're missing a lot of cues and information. My colleagues and I have talked with each other about how it feels more exhausting to do only telehealth because you're trying so hard to get all the information you need from this little bitty screen and from an altered voice going through all this electronic mm-hmm. um, connections. And it requires more effort. And I think the effect is not really as satisfying. Now, I'm certainly in favor of telehealth because there are people on the other side of nowhere who are ha- not going to have any connection if they don't have telehealth. Right. So I think it's extremely important to have telehealth for people who need or for people who shouldn't leave their homes because they're old or immunocompromised or whatever is yes. going on. Uh, so I'm delighted that we have it because it's better than nothing. Yeah. But it's not as good as the real thing from my experience. Right. I read something the other day about business meetings as well as we get back to uh, business meetings, uh, how some companies have found that they can use the social media meetings pretty effectively mm-hmm. and to get done what needs to be done. Right. However, that there are kind of some do's and don'ts that are developing out of all of this. And part of it includes uh, the fact that it is more exhausting because we are trying to get all of our cues from that one little screen. Right. We feel like we must focus on that screen for 30 minutes straight. And it's exhausting. And we don't have, like in a meeting, you kind of have the feedback of other people in the room. It helps you Normally. gauge right. uh, kind of the importance of a certain somebody throws out an idea and then somebody would say, oh, I love that. And you're like, well, you know, I, he always has good ideas and he mm-hmm. always kind of has insight. So thus, I believe that idea is a little bit better than maybe I would have. Other I mean, one. you get social cues from each other and we're not able to do that with Zoom meetings as well, because you're trying to look at all these little screens. All these you're looking faces. at all the little screens. And sometimes people don't immediately say, I think that's a good idea. They just sort of the Uh posture changes and it's very clear that they're thinking about it and if you've got all the little screens you don't necessarily know what this person is doing you're not catching it you're not catching it and so things can come up later but then you have to go back and put them together Mm -hmm. whereas if you're all sitting around a table Mm -hmm. and someone offers an idea and somebody goes into that immediately that thinking pose it's like wow they're really contemplating this this is and mm-hmm. so then later when they say something about it, you're you're right there. Yes. Because you were following all of the body language as well as following the words. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So things are probably going to, you know, people talk about that phrase, the new normal or the new norm. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I picked up that <laughs> cue and I saw the look on your face. Things, it seems like will change somewhat. It's important to realize that there is continuously a new normal. And if we're not paying attention to that, then we're not paying attention. And so when someone focuses too extremely on this will create a new normal, Mm -hmm. typically they have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Um, So that there will continuously be changes. When you were growing up, were you glued to a a cell phone? No. Did you imagine being glued to a cell phone? No way. And yet that's your new normal, isn't it? Right. Okay. There are always these changes that occur Um, in our society and we adapt to them normally very slowly this one has instituted some changes that we're having to adapt to quickly 
And some people have said, oh, now that we understand that we can do teleconferencing and telemeetings, that everyone's want to go, going to want to go that way. Mm-hmm. Well, not I, mm-hmm. uh, for some of the reasons we've just talked about. Yeah. And so, yes, there will be a new normal anytime something novel happens in a society. There are changes that we don't predict. Yet there is also a tendency to go back to the way we were. So there is the the Mm push-pull of an expectation and a demand for changes with an expectation and a demand for sameness. So for one thing, people are not all going to do the same thing. I always say people don't do the same thing as each other other than breathe. But beyond that, they're really quite different. So they're saying people won't want to be in crowds anymore. Some people won't want to be in crowds anymore. Some people are counting the seconds until they can be shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people cheering for whatever the heck it is. And we we can't tell other people what to want or what to think. And, and that, to me, is one of the, the sad aspects of this current situation, what? which is that too many people think they know the answer. I can tell you how to behave and I can tell you what to think and I can tell you what to feel because I know and and I have all the answers. Mm. No, I don't. And you don't have all the answers for me. And yet somehow we can become furious with people who don't do things our way. Whatever happened to negotiation or cooperation or debate or learning from each other rather than me demanding that you see things my way. It strikes me that one of the aspects of our new normal is that we want everybody to see the world the way we see it. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a lack of diversity. And that leads to a lack of opportunity to growth, to grow. In America, we have grown because we're different. We have different ideas. You have ideas that I think are ridiculous. Mm, I have ideas that you would never follow. Mm -hmm. But they might, in fact, work for us or for some people. Right. And only if we say, well, I never thought about it that way, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, that'll never work. That's not, that's not my idea. That'll never work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to become more flexible and open in our thinking. And I'm not suggesting that you agree with everything everybody says, but maybe a little more curiosity. Right. Where, where did that come from? How did you think of that? What was going on? Right. What do you think? Where do you think it's? strengths are where do you think his weaknesses are tell me a little bit about what you're thinking i read somewhere and i don't remember the exact quote but it was something to the effect of when someone has a weak argument they will try and shout you down to shut you down (laughs) right or they will (laughs) or they will say like an expletive like screw you and yeah they're saying they're putting an end on it because basically they're saying i don't have any more thought about that or I don't want to think about that anymore or explore that any further my mind is closed the end yeah I just put a cap on it right instead of like you said asking a question like huh where did that come from explain that to me exactly It, it is so much more respectful to be open to each other and and in fact other people can have some good ideas that sound a little weird Mm -hmm. on the front end Mm -hmm. but oh my gosh that was a good idea. Now that I've had a chance to think about it, I can see 
some of the positives of that idea that I didn't initially catch because it was so different from the way I think. Some of the positives of that good idea, ways that we can learn, at least part of it. I agree with part of that, or I see where you're coming from. Right, right. Rather than resorting immediately to... What I see a lot on social media, a character assassination. That's what I'm going to call you a name. That's what we have gone to. We have we no longer too many of us no longer converse or debate or learn from each other. We want character assassinate. If you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. Well, I have just established that I'm an idiot because there have to be people who disagree with me who have some valid points. Must be at least one. At least one. Maybe not any more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because I and, and the, the the name calling especially bothers me because yeah. we'll come up with these uh, not not we personally, but as uh, a lot of people on social media will come up with what they feel are clever names for right. people who think differently than them. Right. Right. And name calling, in my opinion, is just very divisive. And it's just oh, like it you are them, you are they and you are not. It is intended to be divisive. One of the things in Nazi Germany before they started killing all the Jews was they wanted them to become them. They wanted to become less than people. They were cockroaches. They were to be stomped out. They were nothing. So anytime you get into name calling and you try to make someone less than you, it's important to realize, at least at some level, how incredibly disrespectful that is. And... The other thing that people sometimes don't realize is when I think I'm justified in putting you down, then I am much more vulnerable to being put down. So that when you call me a name back, I'm really upset. I can't believe she called me that name. Can you believe that she said this? And it is because I have justified the approach of trying to put someone down and make them less than me. I am trying to make myself better than you by making myself better than you. Which makes me vulnerable to feeling less than somebody else. Oh, because you just said that you just laid the ground rules of one of us may be better. So if I happen to play that game a little better, then Then you could end up feeling really bad. I could end up feeling really bad. And then I'm going to attack somebody else Mm. who seems a bit more vulnerable than I so that I can stomp them into the ground and make them feel bad so that I can make myself feel good. You have to. This doesn't work in the long run. Yeah. This is very, very limited. Nobody really wins. Nobody really wins. Everybody loses. Is it true that hurt people hurt people? It, well, it, it, it is true that hurt people who become angry about it hurt people. Hurt people who become angry at themselves hurt themselves. So it sort of depends on what you do with your anger that goes with hurt. Hurt and anger are like two sides of a coin. They go together. Okay. Tell me more. So you call me a name and I feel hurt. But I am both hurt and angry. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you treated me that way. Mm-hmm. So I run into someone else who cuts me off in traffic and I blow my horn and I do whatever. Um, she made hand gestures. We know what that means. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I'm looking for a way to justify my emotions mm-hmm. as opposed to understanding that you and I might have going at something differently. But that doesn't make you less than me. It doesn't make me better than you or you better than me. Either way, when you realize, and and it's lovely in America, that under the law, we're all equal. We're not identical, but we're all equal under the law. And if we can remember that so that I can remember to respect you and you can remember to respect me, then the next time somebody calls me a name, 
I might say, gee, I wonder why you're having such a bad day today. Why are you taking something that's going on with you out on me when I have nothing to do with it? I'm sorry that you're doing that, but, but I'm not involved. And then I can be centered enough. I can be stable enough to realize that when someone attacks me, it never was about me. It was about them. And I happen to be standing in the line of fire. Wow. We're out of time for this show. Do you want to continue that thought on next week's show? Sure. Okay. Sure. We we're gonna we're gonna wrap up for today, but we'll be back because, as we said at the start of the show, we can knock this out in days. Absolutely. Uh, make sure you join us again next week for more with Nashville psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod. Thank you for listening today. Get more info on the Focus Facebook page. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.